0: You're listening to the Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who'll help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and you know those things are, are mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. Welcome to The Bloodline with LLS. I'm Elissa. And I'm Lizette. Thank you
1: so much for joining us on this episode.
0: Today, we will be speaking to Drs. Hsengtau Lu and Adam Duval about innovative therapies in leukemia. In addition, we'll hear about how adolescents and young adults can benefit from additional services to guide them through age-related, unique circumstances. Dr. Liu is the medical director of the Clinical Cellular Therapy Lab for Hematology-Oncology and an associate professor of medicine at the University of Chicago. He specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of leukemia, stem cell transplantation, and cellular therapy. Dr. Liu aims to develop novel therapies to fight leukemia and prevent disease relapse. Dr. Duvall is a hematologist-oncologist at the University of Chicago Medicine, specializing in the diagnosis and treatment of care of adolescents and young adults, commonly referred to as AYAs, with an emphasis on acute leukemias, lymphoma, and complex cancer predisposition syndromes. As part of the University of Chicago Medicine's Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program, he provides comprehensive cancer care to AYA's through collaboration with a multidisciplinary team. His research includes exploring novel therapies in leukemia treatment and how to decrease the impact of cancer therapy on psychosocial development of AYA patients. Welcome, Dr. Liu and Dr. Duvall.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you very much.
0: So let's start by learning a little bit more about each of you. How did you both get started in medicine and studying leukemia?
3: So my decision to medicine was uh, influenced by my parents. My parents are doctors in China. I was very interested in biology, but they convinced me to go to medicine. I thank them very much. I enjoyed the medicine. So... I think uh, to help people uh, to treat the disease, especially very, very bad disease like leukemia.
2: I came to a bit of a securities route to medicine. I was interested and good at science, but I also actually studied comparative theology and did a lot of different artistic things and was applying to graduate programs in theology in addition to med schools. And then I took some time off after undergraduate and helped to run a free clinic in a poor area of Indiana. And that really influenced my want to go into medicine. And then in med school, I thought I was going to be the next Paul Farmer, who unfortunately just passed away last month and was working in Kenya and doing a lot of work in parasitic infections and how they infect the immune system and how they affect the patients. I um, mean, I got really interested in the immune system. And then my wife took a job with St. Baldrick's, which is a program that does a lot of head shaving events and things like that. And so I started going to her events and really fell in love with the population And it really fit well with my interest in the immune system. And then the care of the underserved kind of got me into taking care of adolescents and young adults with cancer, which are a relatively underserved population within the cancer community. So all of that kind of led me to where I am now. And I'm very happy that I ended up here.
1: Sure, and I know that the AYA community, especially in our blood cancer community, is an underserved population. So we're glad that you are bringing them to the forefront of your studies as well as treatment for AYA's. Now, Dr. Liu, you run the Clinical Cellular Therapy Lab at the University of Chicago. Can you tell our listeners what cellular therapy is?
3: Yeah, I'm the medical director that come um, out actually is running the staff, and, but I will provide the medical advice. And the cell lab process all the cell product, including the stem cells from the patient. Third therapy is a the broader area. The you know, stem cell transplant is the first cellular therapy, right, using the donor's stem cells, eventually using donor's immune system. And also, even post-transplant, we use some cells to control the disease or treat the disease relapse. But the modern concept of cell therapy is more likely using the immune cells. Most time it's the T cells. And now we will mention about the other cell types like natural killer cells, NK cells. The most attention right now is on the CAR T cell, chimeric antigen receptor T cells, because as approved for a lot of indications, especially the, for lymphoid disease, you know, like into acute lymphoblast leukemia, and also lymphoma, myeloma, uh, We have a long way to go for other myeloid leukemias, like the AML, acute myeloid leukemia.
1: So why is it so beneficial in leukemia and lymphoma patients, the CAR T cells?
3: Yeah, so in order to do the CAR T, therapy you have to have a target for the disease right for the lymphoid disease they have an excellent target cd19 and cd20 or cd22 almost all the leukemia cells and the normal b cells also has this target you can argue the car t not only killed the leukemia cells also will kill the normal b cells Cause some immune deficiency, but you can survive actually without a B cell, even low level B cells. That's why it's very effective in the pediatric patients. Sometimes try to prevent infection, we give them a donors antibody, IVIG, immunoglobin, try to prevent the infection. In the adult, actually, we are not routinely give a patient postcard T IVIG unless they have an infection. So for myeloid disease, that's a difficult. We don't have very good target. There are some target, but all the target like CD33, CD123, also on the hematopoint stem cells, right? You can kill the leukemia cells. If you kill the hematopoint stem cells, you cannot survive. That's a difference. So we are working very hard to find the best target for myeloid lineage leukemia.
1: Right, I know, Alyssa. You were very interested in knowing more about AML.
0: Yeah, I'm an AML survivor myself, and so I kind of keep up on what clinical trials are going on. And I have friends going through AML treatment right now. And I've noticed there are some CAR T trials right now for AML. Could you tell us about that? And do you see that as a possibility for AML patients in the future for CAR T?
3: Yes, I think there are some many. Mining clinical trials ongoing right now. The major targets actually still are the target I mentioned earlier, CD33, CD123, also CL01. There are some clinical response. I think uh, we are opening some car trials uh, targeted the CD33. According to one report presented at the past ASH, 50% of patients had a response. No, we don't know how durable the response and, you know, can provide a cure. It's a still a question. Maybe it can bridge a patient, go to the transplant, have a disease control, go to the stem cell transplant for the eventual cure. That's possible. We still in the, some early phase compared to lymphoid leukemia because of the target issue. But I think we are making some progress actually, and there's also other form, not only the CAR T cells, but there's NK CAR, right? And also, even now, there are some uh, leukemia associated antigen lymphocytes, and to control the disease relapse, even in the future, there could be a TCRT. There's many. Potential cellular therapies for AML, but we are still in the early phase. We saw some promising results, but need to be confirmed in the larger studies. But I think we are still a little bit far away from any FDA approved product
2: in the near future. I think that what Dr. Lu said is really important, especially with all of the information that's getting out into just kind of the common space and news releases and things like that, is that the hope of cellular therapy is really a cure for a blood disease. And as Dr. Liu mentioned, the first cellular therapy and the still most reliable, most important cellular therapy is using a bone marrow transplant. That is a cellular therapy, and that's still our most studied, our most effective, and our highest chance of cure in any type of leukemia. I focus more on the lymphoid leukemia. And so we have been using CAR-T for a few years, but even in that, we don't know the durability over 20, 30, 40 years. And it seems like some people will lose their CAR-T cells over time and that durability might not equal cure. And so really there's a question now of, after this type of cellular therapy is, do you need our more traditional one that we have decades of experience with? And especially for young, healthy people, we know for a fact, with, because of this decades of experience can lead to a, a potential cure, whereas we're still uncertain for some of these other novel therapies. While they're still very important and really are an amazing therapy, they do lead to some other questions that I think we still need to answer.
0: Now, a question. You were talking about stem cell transplant for ALL. For that, we do allogeneic transplants or getting stem cell from a donor versus an autologous transplant, which is using a patient's own cells. That type of transplant is often reserved for blood cancers like myeloma or some lymphomas. Could you tell us what the benefit is of using a donor's stem cells?
2: Your immune system has a job of fighting infections and of preventing cancer in some ways, and so the immune systems of our patients with blood cancers is broken. In a lot of the ways, we can kind of reset it and fix it all with just chemotherapy or other types of treatments, but in some ways, it's so broken that we know the cancer will come back unless we replace it with a new immune system that can then prevent the leukemia from coming back for hopefully a lifetime. And so that is still a mainstay of treatment in acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL, which is what I more focus in, but see everybody with any type of acute leukemias. And that's now, in some ways, luckily, only reserved for people who have very high-risk disease and who become refractory to therapy or who have relapsed. And acute myeloid leukemia, it's much more common and needed. And I think there are much more needed therapies for this, but I can let Dr. Liu speak to that because I think he has a lot more expertise in that area.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with uh, Adam. I always tell the community oncologist stem cell CC immunotherapy is a cellular therapy, has been there for several decades. It's still the only cure for many leukemias, especially for AML acute metal leukemia, especially with high risk. The allogenic stem cell transplant we use in the donors immune system. That's why it's immune cell therapy and uh, there is autologous stem cell transplant for some low-risk AML, but we are now using a lot. That's just give the chance very intensive chemo to eradicate the leukemia. But allogeneic stem cell transplant, even we are using different conditioning, we using myeloblative conditioning in the past, trying to eliminate some cancer cells. But right now, the stem cells transplant. Actually, it's using the immune system from a donor to try to control the disease. And stem cell transplant is still the only cure, even with available all the cellular therapies. I mentioned earlier, we are using cellular therapy to bridge a lot of patients with refractory disease to transplant because the disease status before stem cell transplant is very important. If you go to transplant with active disease, you will have a very high chance to have relapse.
1: I think that was my question, and I don't know if we have a total answer yet because CAR T-cell therapy is newer, but is CAR T-cell therapy always a bridge to transplant or is CAR T-cell therapy going to actually replace transplant in the future? What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I can start. I think Adam can add more because we have more experience in the nifloblast leukemia. With a long-term follow-up, about 40% of patients could have some long-term survival you know, with a long-term follow-up. You could argue this kind of patient could be cured with CAR-T. Right now, the researchers try to develop some biomarkers how to determine which patient they can be cured, have long-term survival without stem cell transform. Notice other countries, even the researchers in China, most of the time, they use CAR T-cells as bridge that go to transplant. because in that situation, this can cure more patients. But I think we need a lot of research to determine which patient could be cured with CAR T-cells alone, which patient could use CAR T-cells as a bridge to go to the stem cell transplant for eventually cure. But even with stem cell transplant, relapse is still the problem. Actually, I think we try to develop some new strategy, try to make like, a cellular therapy strategy to prevent relapse even after stem cell transplant.
2: Yeah, I really agree. I think there is a subset of people that are cured with CAR T-cells. I don't think we know exactly what that subset is yet. There is some work now, and Dr. Liu mentioned this earlier, the CAR T-cells also kill our normal B-cells. And there's a good amount of work out there now that shows that most of the time, I don't want to say all the time, because in medicine, you can never say all the time, but we will be able to detect normal B cells coming back before any type of relapse of the leukemia. So there might be an opportunity, and this is something to think about for young people, that if they've already had a transplant or if they're very sick from their disease or from the CAR T cell or for something, it is reasonable just to watch them for a time period. And it would be for years is kind of the unfortunate thing and look closely to see if you can see any normal B cells. And then it's pretty reliable that after normal B cells come back, a relapse that disease is very likely. So you do have potentially a small window that you can have without any detectable disease that you could potentially go to transplant if the B cells come back. That's, again, a little tough to perfectly thread a needle, but it's a possibility. Or, you know, there are so many different ways of returning people into remission now with acute lymphoblastic leukemia that you can also just wait and see approach. But with each decade after CAR T cell, we see it seems like a slightly... Fewer people are in that kind of tail. You see these survival curves that I'm making a a line now, but nobody can see it. But what you're looking for, my young population, and I'm a pediatric oncologist too, is you're looking for that plateau at the bottom. How many people stop relapsing after 30 years? I don't know that we've hit that plateau with CAR T cells yet. I think it still takes another decade or so, because like you've said, they're so new. So right now we're at 40 to 60% of people might be cured, but in 10 years from now, we might be less than that. We don't know yet. So there is a watchful waiting strategy. I will say for my young patients, including pediatric patients, if they haven't had a transplant yet if they are fit, and they have a reasonable donor, I think most people nowadays would say to go on to a transplant after CAR T-cell therapy because it still offers the highest potential of cure. That's a tough discussion to have, and that's a tough decision to have. But really, with transplant in general, all of our transplants, they're called elective transplants because they are elective. There's always options besides transplants. It's always weighing the risk of the transplant, which is higher than traditional chemotherapy, versus the benefits of it. And so that is an individual discussion with each patient that is not a perfect answer for anybody, but you can get general ideas. And some of it is patient preference. You've had patients who want to finish school or do other things, and watchful waiting does time out with that or want to get married, or potentially want to try to have a kid. I actually took care of a patient who was, I think, one of the first patients to become pregnant after CAR T-cell therapy in the world, and it's something that happens. And so there's lots of individual decisions for that. And so I think it's a hard answer to have a general one too, but if you're a young, healthy person, you haven't got a transplant before, you have a good donor, you'd have to have a really good reason not to go to transplant after a CAR T-cells
3: in my book. Yeah, I totally agree with Adam. I can also give you an example for older patients. I have a patient presented with a ALL at age 76. Now the transplant candidate, not necessary from the age point. No one wants to offer the transplant easily to such a patient in the 76. We put on the CAR-T treatment on the clinical trial. Actually, he did very well, entered the remission. ran out so three years after he still in the remission. No, Adam also mentioned for young patients we have a better monitoring for the disease. You can always offer the transplant, you know, why you see early relapse, right? If the patient is not ready to go to transplant. But I totally agree for younger patients, very fit, has a perfect donor, you no, know, the transplant still can provide the best chance for the cure.
1: Sure. And I know that our patients are always wondering about treatment sequencing, right? So you can have CAR T cell and then you can have a transplant. Can you have CAR T cell and then CAR T cell again, or transplant and then another transplant to follow?
3: Yes. I think a lot of patients in on the 12 actually had a relapse after the stem cell transfer. They got the CAR T cell under disease control. No, not a lot of centers doing second transplant. Second transplant is getting popular. You know, we do have a protocol actually and to perform a second transplant using different conditioning. we call the total marrow irradiation. Actually we presented the data at Ash almost two years ago and the outcome is very promising. We try to publish the data. I think the sequence is always difficult. A lot of times the patient has a Refractive disease, they filled all the standard treatment. Right now, we're using CAR T cells to treat the disease, put them in the remission, then go to transplant. But there are some situations you could have relapse after the stem cell transplant, where right? you enter the remission with the standard chemo, then you went to the transplant, you had a relapse, then we are using CAR T cell to control the disease, and some patients also had a second transplant.
2: And to add to that, Dr. Liu actually is the primary investigator in a study here looking at cellular therapy for people who are MRD positive, so minimal residual disease positive after a transplant. So we know that there's a low level of disease there and those patients are much higher risk to have a true relapse? And is there a role for either CAR T-cells or, like Dr. Liu mentioned before, these natural killer NK cells to be used after prophylactically to prevent relapse, or if we know there's minimal residual disease to prevent true relapse? And I think that's a future of the therapy as well, especially potentially from the myeloid disease, but hopefully in in general from the lymphoid diseases. The order of therapy is the million-dollar question for these diseases now. Should we use CAR T cells earlier on? Should we use them later? Should we use them only after transplant or if they're refractory? We also have other targeted therapies in these diseases including inotuzumab and blenitumumab, which target things that the CAR T cells also target. So should we be using those instead? But yeah, needless to say, you can use CAR T cells before or after transplant. We don't have anything that I know of that's looking at kind of prophylactic CAR T cells post-transplant to prevent relapse, but that would be a study that would be needed and could be very interesting, but for uh, ALL at least, it's not quite there yet. There are two different types of ALL, B-cell and T-cell ALL, and all of these things that we're talking about, I just want to make sure I say it at least once, is is for B-cell ALL, because with T-cell ALL, we are in need of some really good treatments for relapsed or refractory disease similar to AML, because those targets that are for B-cell ALL aren't present in T-cell ALL, just like Dr. Liu mentioned for AML. So there's still a lot of need, not just sequential therapy, of actual new agents as well.
0: I'd like to go back for a second. Dr. Lu, you mentioned other cellular therapies like natural killer cells or NK cells. I'd love to hear about that, but also off-the-shelf CAR T therapy. Could you tell us a little bit about those?
3: Yes, yeah, it's a very interesting area. Let's talk about of the off-the-shelf CAR T first. Right now approved the CAR T the product all using they called the autologous lymphocytes from the patient. Sometimes it could from a real patient, some patients had a transplant, could from the donor, right? Some donor lymphocytes, but it is collected lymphocytes from the patient. They do the engineer, right, to generate the CAR T cells. So the time will take about three to four weeks. But right now, there's a new technology, so they can get the product ready within days. Even overnight, they have in vivo expansion. There's a new technology. But uh, so far, all approved products actually will require a you know, couple of weeks for manufacture of the CAR T cells. But sometimes patients cannot wait, right? The disease just progressed. Even when we enroll the patient on the trial, some patient lost opportunity to get the CAR T cells because the disease just too aggressive. They just died from the disease before they were able to get the CAR T cells. Right now, we try to develop some off-the-shelf, they call it allogenic CAR T-cells, actually from lymphocytes from the donor, then they have to do some more engineer, because they have to not allow the T-cells from the donor attack the body, can cause a, a GVHD graph against a host disease, they have to do more gene editing. To now call the some genes, especially the TCR alpha chain. And in that case, not causing the GVHD. There's also issues how sustain these CAR T cells uh, in the body because the recipient's immune system has a tendency to get rid of this uh, allogenic CAR T cells, not like autologous CAR T cells because the T cells from your body, we give you some lymphodepletion, depletion. The CAR T cell can stay there for quite long time. Some could uh, stay in your body for years to control the leukemia. But another problem for endogenic CAR T cells, actually your body could eliminate these cells very quickly. Then we have to fight the lymphodepletion regimen to allow these CAR T cells to stay. A lot of companies are developing these uh, strategies. Actually, we have uh, the trials here, target CD20, and there's many other companies try to use a different gene editing, a different way and to do this. Actually, I think it uh, uh, could be promising, at least in the lymphoma, looks like they had some um, uh, good result, but uh, in the leukemia, especially lymphoid, lymphoblast leukemia, I think we still need to see. The second question is NK, right? The Immune cells, lymphocytes, is the most important cells in the immune system. But there's other cells, like natural killer cells, right? They are very important to kill, but they don't last long. They don't have memory. They have less toxicity. So right now, there's a lot of trials going on using the NK cells to generate the NK card. Actually, there's a uh, published data suggests that they could be very effective. Actually, very minimal toxicity. A lot of companies uh, try to develop this uh, CAR. Uh, we do have some trials and uh, NK CAR against the AML in our center. This early phase, we try to do some uh, prevention of disease relapse, infusing some uh, half-matched NK cells and uh, to the receiving, try to treat the disease relapse. Right now, there's off-shelf NK product. Actually, they can generate the NK cells even from the cord stem cells, placenta. So they have a lot of NK cells, like endogenic NK cells there, and you're ready to use. We have a trial, try to eliminate the minimal residual disease in the AML settings. We have a trial to treat the relapse refractory AML. So I can give you an example. I have one AML patients had a very complex phenotype, very high risk, and failed the standard treatment, and the patient is a transplant candidate, but we cannot move to the transplant without decent disease control. So I put the patient on the NK 12 Actually, the NK cell therapy was able to control the disease. And the patient was able to move the stem cell transfer.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Now, you talked a little bit about side effects for the uh, natural killer cell treatment. What about for CAR-T therapy? Are there many side effects that come along with that?
3: Yeah, I think it's uh, two side effects everyone is talking about. One is the CRS, cytokine release syndrome. The other one is the neurotoxicities could be very bad. And right now, we know better how to deal with this. Now we have a better strategy, and we can actually intervene early. Right now, actually, in our center, we didn't see a lot of high grade and um, uh, CRS on neurotoxicity. And the uh, advantage for the NK car, because they are very transient. Actually, they disappear very quickly. They just kill the leukemia lymphoma the cells. Then they disappeared. Actually, the incidence of the CRS neurotoxicity is very minimal or much less compared to the standard CAR t cells.
0: Oh, that's really good to know. Now, we talked a lot about all these different cellular therapies, which is really exciting. You did mention a little bit about some clinical trials going on, but I'd love to know what's on the horizon right now. What are you each really excited about that you're seeing either in trials or being talked about?
3: I always tell the patients, also physicians, the best treatment for the leukemia, especially AML acute myeloid leukemia, is a clinical trial. Either standard normal agents, target agents, or even cellular therapies. And from a cellular therapy point, we try to develop some NK CAR or regular CAR T cells for the AML NK CAR, and also we are trying to do leukemia specific antigen and uh, thousand lymphocytes and to treat the disease relapse or prevent the disease relapse. So we try to find the better way to treat the relapse refractory disease. That's the most in mind need in the AML settings, maybe in all the leukemia settings.
2: I think a lot of the exciting trials with cellular therapy and the lymphoblastic leukemia space are looking at better ways to do it. So there's different constructs, different ways to make CAR T cells that could potentially lead to higher rates of cure, that preventually, you know avoiding a need for an allogeneic transplant. There are also things that are out there that are kind of being able to turn on and turn off the CAR T cells, which would be a really interesting ability to do so to prevent long term harm or to reduce the toxicity in an easier way. And then really it's the new targets, I think, for a lot of the ALL specifically, just like what Dr. Liu mentioned. We need targets for T-cell ALL. We don't have them that are commercially available. And we need targets that are gonna work for ALL that loses the targets that we have currently. So we have a lot of targets for ALL currently in the B-cell side, but it doesn't work for everybody. We're still losing people to leukemia. And so we still need further developments from that. So between making better CAR T-cells that are going to work better and to cause less toxicity or potentially avoiding late effects from transplant Or looking for new targets in these spaces is really, I think, what the next step is.
0: Yeah, that's really great. I love to hear about the new things being talked about and seeing where we can go, particularly when you're looking at relapsed or refactory that really need that help, that they're not getting... That response on the first line treatment. Now, Dr. Duvall, we mentioned in the introduction that you are part of the adolescent and young adult oncology program at the University of Chicago Medicine. And as some of our listeners may know, acute lymphoblastic leukemia or ALL is the most common childhood cancer. So we would kind of expect to see young adults dealing with that. But young adults are also getting diagnosed with acute leukemias. I was diagnosed with AML at 34, but the AYA cancer community has some pretty unique characteristics that aren't as relevant to the pediatric and elderly cancer populations. Could you share what makes this subset of cancer patients unique?
2: Yeah, and I appreciate that question. The type of cancers that are seen in the AYA population are unique. ALL is probably the most common one that we think of from the blood cancer standpoint, but AML is also very common and they both require kind of unique therapies for this age group. AYAs are kind of caught between being an adult and child, and that's both true in life and with the journey from living with your parents and gaining independence. And we consider AYAs in the United States to be from ages 15 to 40, So you can tell there's lots of development that goes on during that time you transition from like i said childhood to adulthood and that comes from not only a financial standpoint including insurance coverage and also from job career schooling all of that standpoint but also from a psychosocial standpoint so the ability to form adult long-term relationships whether they be friendships or romantic relationships Um, Also, sexual development happens during that time, and all of that is horribly impacted by cancer and its therapy. So we, we know already that we don't do a good job in medicine of taking care of that side of things. And part of that could be because it's either being taken care of in a children's or an adult hospital, which is very separate. And I actually did training in both pediatric and adult oncology because I wanted to learn both perspectives and I wanted to get both points of view. And they are different. Neither of them are perfect, and neither of them are perfectly right for every individual. So I think it takes a unique team to be able to take care of these patients and a different focus to be able to help them. There's actually a great book that was published, I think, last year. It's called Between Two Kingdoms that probably a lot of people have read that was written by a patient who was young and had AML, similar to yourself, and underwent a bone marrow transplant and really speaks to the unique challenges that somebody who's young with cancer faces and developing mature relationships and all the other stuff that is happening to a young person when going through cancer and its therapy that isn't addressed by a lot of doctors and by the medical system as a whole.
0: Yeah, I definitely see that young adults end up kind of having to figure out their own way a lot of times. And LLS recently came out with a young adult survivorship workbook to hopefully kind of help them through those. But I think it's great that young adults are starting to get a lot more attention because those unique issues do need to be addressed. Now, there's something I want to touch on, and it's young adults with ALL there's been a lot of talk about doing pediatric versus adult protocol. And a lot of times if they're just barely outside the pediatric range up to 18, and they're not seeing their pediatrician, they might not get that pediatric protocol for ALL treatment. Could you kind of go over that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So take a step back a little bit too. ALL is a rare disease in general. So even within the cancer community, it's a rare disease and likely should be treated by somebody who specializes in the treatment of acute leukemia and ALL specifically, because it is such a rare disease. There is a lot of work that was done by one of the people that started the AYA program here at University of Chicago named Wendy Stock, who really has shown and revolutionized the care of young people with acute leukemia and this, their acute lymphoblastic leukemia, that has showed that there is seemingly benefit to using pediatric-based protocols as opposed to adult protocols up until the age of 40, at least, and potentially longer. We published not too long ago that it's safe to use these pediatric-based protocols in older populations up until the age of 60 with some modifications, but at least up until the age of 40, it's, we can mimic pediatric-based outcomes in the adult side using the pediatric-based protocols, whereas before there was a deficit of outcome. People who are treated by pediatricians and who are the same age seem to have better outcomes in the adult side, which was corrected for by um, switching the type of protocols we use. And that is difficult. These protocols are very involved. They're very unique. And there is some data out there that in certain centers that the traditional adult protocols can be about equally efficacious, but they haven't been really replicated outside of those centers. So the kind of go-to treatment for ALL, if you are an AYA, should be a pediatric-based protocol, hopefully in a clinical trial, because we are always trying to improve outcomes. But at minimum, having somebody who is an ALL-specific physician at least see the patient and help out with therapy is really, I think, a necessary thing because this is a very rare cancer that is just not seen in this population very frequently.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with Adam. Dr. Stark started the program. Actually, it's very successful to deal with this special population. They are very difficult to deal not only from disease point, also from psychosocial point. And this program helped us a lot. I treated several young patients in the past. Actually, right now, we always refer this kind of patient to the clinic and the program. They are doing a wonderful job to treat this kind of patients.
1: Great. So Dr. Stock did start this program At the University of Chicago, and some of the larger cancer centers have separate programs for AYA cancer patients. Can you just tell us a little bit more about the University of Chicago's program and how it benefits adolescents and young adult cancer patients, Dr. Duvall?
2: Yeah, and I'd love to. Obviously, I love talking about our program. And Dr. Stock is one of the reasons why I'm in Chicago. I did my training out on the West Coast with uh, Oregon Health and Sciences, which was one of the first AYA programs created by Brandon hayes Latten who's really revolutionized the field as well. And so there are a lot of different AYA programs. Everyone is very different. In our program, we focus on the treatment of adolescents and young adults with any type of leukemia. Now that I'm here, I also see lymphoma. So any type of blood cancer, and you're less than 40, can come see us in the AYA program. And I would see all the patients with lymphoma. Then actually, Dr. Stock and I take a team-based approach. So we're effectively one person. We both joke that we share one brain because we spend so much time together at this point. They'll be in clinic and they'll either see myself or Dr. Stock, and it just depends who's there. So it's a program that really runs independently of either of us because we're both either on inpatient service or she's out traveling the world, hopefully soon, now that it's opening back up, teaching the rest of the world how best to treat this type of disease. And so it's a real team based approach from that standpoint. So we take the active role of being the treating physician for those subsets of patients. And we have a multidisciplinary team, including palliative care. We actually have an AYA program administrator who's a licensed social worker and an AYA cancer survivor herself who underwent a bone marrow transplant in her 20s as well. And then we recently received funding from a wonderful organization, Alliance Foundation, to hire an AYA psychologist. So a psychologist who will specifically see every single one of our AYA patients with cancer and be able to provide services both in the hospital and outside of the hospital. And then we also have a great dedicated nursing team who will see all of these patients and make sure that they're getting the care that they need. It's a huge multidisciplinary team. Um, probably the most important is actually a pharmacist who is in our clinic every week, too, because these AYA protocols take a lot of medication monitoring, and a lot of adjustment, and are really complicated, and, and having the pharmacist there to do that is incredibly important. And we also have a genetic counselor who will see our patients that we think are high risk for genetic diseases that predispose them to their cancer. So really a holistic approach to the patients. There's no requirements to call yourself an AYA program. There's no right way of doing it. It's whatever resources you can kind of cobble together. These aren't resources that are reimbursed by insurances. As you can tell just by what I said, we require a lot of philanthropy. We require a lot of extra help outside of programs because these things don't get paid for by the traditional medical system, but they're so sorely needed that it's left to wonderful people like Dr. Stock and others throughout the country to kind of beg, borrow, and steal the resources they need for all these different patients. And then I started a program here where we'll see any young patient with cancer. So whether you have ovarian cancer, colon cancer, or whatever cancer there is, uh, basically would be willing to see you. And I specialize in sexual health and fertility, and we'll talk to them about those topics specifically, but they'll also meet our um, program administrator who is connected to a lot of community and national resources, our psychologists to get in touch with them and really help kind of um, shepherd them through their cancer experience and provide that extra support that you you're not going to get in the traditional oncology office.
0: That's great. Love to hear about this whole comprehensive approach to young adult care. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's great that you're treating the whole person. I love that.
2: Yeah, and that's what we try to do. That's what most of the research I focus on is actually trying to do the same clinical trials that we do to improve Survival, improve outcomes, and to actually use those clinical trials to look at interventions that can improve our psychosocial outcomes as well. And this is something that is happening in our clinical trials in general. We're including health related quality of life measures and patient reported outcome measures in trials because even if we do have equivalent survival outcomes, if people are living the same amount after on either Try that we do, but say the neuropathy or the fatigue or the chemo brain or what have you, you could list any number of things that every person who's gone through cancer can easily identify with. If those are better on a different arm, then we should probably be using that treatment instead of the standard. If it is better, even though the survival isn't different, if we're still decreasing the burden to our patients, that's what we should be doing. That's where the field is moving also, and it's very exciting, and it's kind of where I'm trying to be more active in it.
0: Absolutely. And when you're doing clinical trials as well, I mean, that can have an impact really all over the country, all over the world. I know there are some other young adult programs at major centers around the country, but there could certainly be more. And so I hope that the clinical trials will show what a benefit they are to young adult patients and major cancer centers can start putting together some more programs to help. Because I love to hear about this comprehensive approach. I think that sounds just amazing. Now, I'd like to finish up today with a question for you. On our patient podcast homepage, we have a quote that says, after diagnosis comes hope. What would each of you say to patients and their families to provide them hope for the future?
3: Yeah, I think uh, compared to the decades ago, we made a huge progress in the treatment of leukemia. And forgot to mention, even for the patient with the Very complex acute leukemia. Right now we have a comprehensive clinic. They call the complex acute leukemia and myeloid malignancy clinic. They call the C A L M M clinic. We have leukemia physician, also transplant physicians work together, and uh, no provide all the uh, up to date clinical trials and to the patient to treat them. Then take them to the transplant provide cure. I think uh, right now, there's a higher hope to be cured. I always tell my patient, and you know that especially for the young AML patient, the goal of the treatment is cure, right? Either cure with chemotherapy or cure through the cellular therapy and the stem cell transplant. That's my goal. You now, for the older patients, we can also help to control the disease to preserve a quality of life. That's a different goal. But uh, we can always help as a physician with a new development, new treatment options.
2: I always tell my patients that I'm a realistic optimist. I think that we always need to talk about what's actually going on and talk about the reality of the situation. But there is absolutely no reason to have not a ton of hope. And there's no reason not to be uh, very optimistic about what's happening. And a lot of that is because of the available therapies that we have that are currently now available that never were even 5, 10, 15 years ago and the hope for the future of even having more of them. There's lots of development that's going on. There's lots of availability of different approaches that are really trying to take into account the more and more nuanced genetic markers that we're seeing, that we're learning about, and that potentially will have just as much impact as what some of the big breakthroughs have over the last 10 years. So there's lots and lots of hope out there for any patient with a blood cancer at this point. We still have a ways to go. We're still not at 100% cure, and that is the goal. So there is still not a perfect science out there, but with what we have available, we can do a lot of good, and we can do it pretty well for most people. That's wonderful.
0: Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Liu, Dr. Duval, for joining us today. It was really exciting to hear just about all the different kinds of cellular therapies that are out there that hopefully will get to a point where we are providing a cure for acute leukemias. And thank you for telling us about these comprehensive programs uh, like the AYA program and the Calm Clinic. It's such a good thing to have to really look at that comprehensive approach, that holistic approach to the patient. We love hearing about it, and we hope that that will be good models for the future at all the major cancer centers. So thank you both so very much for being here with us today.
3: Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure.
0: Also, a special thank you to University of Chicago Medicine for supporting this episode. And thank you to everyone listening today. The Bloodline with LLS is one part of the mission of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society to improve the quality of lives of patients and their families. To help us continue to provide the engaging content for all people affected by cancer, we would like to ask you to complete a brief survey that can be found in the show notes or at thebloodline.org. This is your opportunity to provide feedback and suggested topics that will help so many people. We would also like to know about you and how we can serve you better. The survey is completely anonymous and no identifying information will be taken. We hope this podcast helped you today. Stay tuned for more information on the resources that LLS has for you or your loved ones who have been affected by cancer. Have you or a loved one been affected by blood cancer? LLS has many resources available to you. Financial support, peer-to-peer connection, nutritional support, and more. We encourage patients and caregivers to contact our information specialists at 1-800-955-4572 or go to lls.org forward slash patient support. You can find more information about acute leukemias at lls.org forward slash leukemia or CAR T-cell therapy at lls.org forward slash C-A-R-T therapy. All of these links, including information about the programs that University of Chicago Medicine offers, will be in the show notes or at thebloodline.org. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to subscribe to The Bloodline so you don't miss an episode. We look forward to having you join us next time.